0: $700 million. That's how much the Los Angeles Dodgers forked over to Shohei Ohtani in the biggest contract to one player in North American history by far. The reasoning behind this signing goes far beyond the field, but isn't the point of this record-breaking deal is what happens on the field? Four more weeks of the NFL season are left. It's time to go in on what to possibly expect during the home stretch as the playoffs, are just a little bit over a month away. The Lakers win the inaugural NBA Cup. Should a proud franchise celebrate this meaningless championship? John Rahm takes the money train of the Live Golf League as he leaves the PGA in the dust. Do we have to go through this again? I guess we do. As another loaded hour of sports talk awaits, as I provide all the above and then some for you guys and gals. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening Michael people, greetings! How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic in excellent spirits. We're creeping closer to the holiday season as Christmas is just two weeks away from today and 2024 a week after that. But what matters at the moment is right now as I get ready, set and go with another jam-packed, fast-paced hour of what I love to talk about. You know what it is people as this! Is the Jay Reels podcast with your host, Jay Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And even though we're getting to the home stretch of an NFL season, the bowl season will begin later this week in college football. Yes, we could get into the NBA Cup. John Rahm jumps from the PGA to the Live Golf League for what else? Money. And that's where I'm going to start. No, not with John Rom, but with Shohei Ohtani. I was with my wife and her friends out in Jersey yesterday, or two days ago, excuse me, when the news broke that Shohei Ohtani got the deal that nobody even ever imagined or expected. Yes, we knew that it was going to start with a five, as in 500 million, and the likelihood of going up to 600 million was quite possible. But this was before he blew out his arm for the second time needing Tommy John surgery and for Otani to skip out on his club over the last couple of weeks of the season clearing out his locker not being around the team and a lot of reports coming out that he was a guy that may be selfish or may be just to himself so many different types of angles from various sports writers, bloggers, etc. Wondering what type of person Otani is. And even though a lot of people think that he is a good kid. That he is the type of guy who's just going to be in the background. He's not a me guy. He's not going to put the finger on him as being a guy that's egocentric. A 24 plus 1. For those who remember that way back when with Alex Rodriguez. During his free agency process back in the winter of 2000. But for Otani. Even though we don't really have a finger on the pulse of what kind of guy he is. And with commercials, new balance. And even though, for all intents and purposes, his teammates love him. And a lot of people think that he is a good guy. But we didn't really get a feel for what he was going to look for as far as the contract. That we knew was going to be record-breaking. It was going to be more than what Mike Trout got. What was it? $436 million? Maybe it was four twenty-six. It was in the 420s, and we figured that Otani was probably going to get at least 5, maybe to 550, who knows. But as I was with my wife, and she pulled it up on her phone that Shohei Otani signed with the Dodgers, and I said to myself, that's not a surprise. I just need to know how much money he's going to get. And sure enough, I pulled it up on my phone, breaking news, 10 years, $700 million. The only thing I could say at that point was, A, what were the Dodgers thinking? B, is he worth it? And C, what does this do for another player somewhere down the road? And it's going to be baseball because remember, there's no salary cap in baseball. So you're not going to see a contract like that in the NBA. You're not going to see a contract like that in the NFL. Although Patrick Mahomes, when he got his what? I believe it was close to 500 million, 10 years. And even with a salary cap, we could see how the Chiefs are suffering a little bit. And we'll get to the Chiefs in the NFL a little bit later on but you're not going to see a contract like this ever again based on a two-way player a guy who's not going to pitch next year by the way but let's go in those three steps to start off with a the Dodgers forking over this money number 1 i don't care how they spend it i understand that people from certain factions are saying that this is a record-breaking deal but it's a bargain based on all the the off-the-field stuff, based on all the marketing, the merchandising, even the potential relationship between whatever Japanese market, whatever, let's say, communications company, whatever just industry that's overseas that they could marry with the Dodgers to just make boatloads of money. And how I look at it is, is that the Dodgers, we understand that they're worth probably off the top of my head, before Otani signed, at least $4 billion. And just because you sign Otani, and let's say maybe they're worth $6 billion, or maybe even, I won't go as high as $7 billion, because that means they're worth more than the Dallas Cowboys, which we know that's not going to be the case. But if it's going to be the inner workings of business and all the other things that I mentioned, right, this could be a boon for a Dodger franchise, as we know is one of the cornerstone franchises of Major League Baseball. It's not like they're trying to put themselves on the map when it comes to a team that's looking to be in the neighborhood of the Yankees, Red Sox, Cardinals, Cubs, and of course, Dodgers, who in no order are the pinnacle when it comes to tradition, when it comes to their history. And for a Dodger franchise that has made this deal and put Otani in a stratosphere unlike any other in the sport. And I'm going to get to that in a second, but for the Dodgers to think that this is going to be a deal that is going to make them print money, quite possibly, and if so, God bless them. But isn't it about winning? Isn't it about World Series? So you mean to tell me that if the Dodgers make out like fat cats over the next 10 years, but they're unable to win a World Series, is this deal going to be successful? Or is this deal going to be even more successful if Otani happens to have another arm injury throughout the course of this 10-year contract? Or at the back end of this contract, he's hitting 240 with 18 home runs and 60 RBIs? That he's not going to be anywhere close to the MVP that he's been to the last three years? So yes, overseas they can make a king's ransom. And obviously here in the States, billboards, as I mentioned, marketing, advertising, you name it. He's going to be everywhere. And you know what? He deserves that and he's earned that. But for a franchise to fork over that kind of money is just unfathomable. I mean, think about this. We talked about Mike Trout, $426 million. Even Patrick Mahomes. All right. So let's say even with the restructuring of his contract, I believe at the end of the day, it's going to hit $500 million dollars. And then John Rom, I know this doesn't count because it's an individual sport and he's jumping over to a league with the Saudis of Liv where for the next three years it's been reported that he's going to make $300 million. So obviously if you do the math, it's $100 million over the next three years, which still blows away what Otani would make over the first three years of his contract on average. But for a North American sport, for a player to make that kind of money And sadly, when we look at baseball with no salary cap, you cannot even wrap your head around just the enormity of this deal. And not only that, he is getting paid based on what he's done here over the last few years. And that's not to say, even if he got $501 million, people would still fall out of their chairs and still say, how could one player get this much money? Understandably and rightfully so no matter how unique this player may be. But to think, even with his arm being blown out and not pitching next year and not knowing if he's going to come anywhere close to what he was as a pitcher in an angel uniform, and that's not to say that he was a Cy Young candidate. Now, this past year, he probably was close. Maybe he was in the top five. I don't believe he was in the top three, come to think of it, because it was Garrett Cole uh, I can't even think of the other two pitchers off the top of my head at this very moment. But Otani probably got some votes, but it was more fourth to fifth place votes. I don't think he got any first, second, or third place. So with that being said, you're pretty much paying, as a right to second, $70 million a year for a designated hitter. A good one, I might add. But for now with all of the pressure that's going to be put on this kid to produce and to be in this country where I'm still... Thinking that he's adjusting to the culture, to the language, to everything. And sadly, this is going to be a contract that the spotlight's going to be on him, not only just from the day he walks into training camp, but now in all offseason. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, because we could talk about this throughout the entire podcast. Because of just the magnitude of how much money he's going to make. And all I could say to Altani is, I hope he has great health, and I hope he produces. Is he going to live up to this contract when it's all said and done? Absolutely not. And of course, the bigger question, is he worth it? Hell no. Because unless he was going to be 100% healthy going into next year to pitch, and also to hit, and for him to be, let's say, in the top two or three when it comes to Cy Young and the MVP... We can honestly say that he may still not be worth it, but he's close to it because of what he does. He's a dual threat. But as a right to second, there is no way. And I don't know who his agent is, and I don't know who his representation is, but boy, do they get a gold star, maybe even a platinum star for pulling off this deal. Because think about this. This is almost similar to a guy blowing out his knee as a running back. and We understand running backs don't make that kind of money. But my point is, is that you could have Walter Payton or Jim Brown have a monster season and he's going to go into his free agent year, not playing running back next year, but he would still make top dollar. That's equivalent to what we've seen here with Otani. Or a guy that's going to be on the shelf for a year and he's still going to get paid top dollar bigger than anybody in the sport. And that's where the representation comes in and you know that they're popping champagne over the last 48 hours I would think considering that this deal which is not going to be topped ever again remember when Giancarlo Stanton got 325 million that is pales in comparison to what Otani got or even Bryce Harper or even Francisco Lindor Juan Soto we talked about this last week he's probably gonna have a monster year this year batting in front of judge walk year He may get $500 million because it's Scott Boris. And who knows? Boris is going to push for probably $701 million so he can have the guy that will have the record contract. I don't care if Soto hits 60 home runs, drives in 150, walks 130 times, bats 320. There's no way he's getting $700 million. But this is why a contract like this is a lightning rod for just sports talk fodder like this controversy to a certain extent. And one more time, I don't care how the Dodgers spin this when it comes time to raise the jersey and have the pomp and circumstance probably in the outfield at Dodger Stadium when they introduce Shohei Ohtani as a member of the Dodgers. Of course, they're going to look at this as this is a business deal that was hard to resist because of all of the connections that we could have from U.S. to Asia, what he means to the L.A. market, obviously moving 40 miles up the freeway from Anaheim to LA and you know the Angel fan is sick to its stomach right about now because now they're gonna have to see him in Dodger blue and who knows not only make the postseason every year but maybe just maybe win a few World Series and maybe even some World Series MVPs in the process and that is going to be a bitter pill for them to swallow but that's down the road if that does come to pass but right now Otani not only has hit it big he hit the mother load and from the time he walks into Dodger camp opening day and throughout the rest of the season and mind you he's not even going to toe the rubber to pitch but the spotlight is going to be on him and now we can finally put to rest where he's at the type of money he got That is still 48 hours later, mind blowing to say the least. Just when you thought you've seen it all, there's always one owner or ownership or one drunken sailor out there that says the hell with it and pushes all their chips in the middle of the table, and you get this. All right, let's put on the helmet and shoulder pads to get through the NFL. And it was a very interesting week. This past week, now that we're getting into the final four games, which in essence, I know it's past the 75, it's probably 77% of the season it's gone by, but when we get to the last four games, when we think back to the 16 game regular season, we can look at now getting into the home stretch, the horizon, as we're approaching the middle of December and we're getting into the teeth of the schedule to the point where now we can see the finish line. We could see teams that are going to try to jockey for position, teams that are going to possibly make a run, teams that have taken a step above or cut below, knowing that this is crunch time for a lot of teams that are looking to try to get into the tournament. And a couple of things that stick out from yesterday, you had the Chiefs for the first time, and I could probably predict this right now, for the first time in the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era, the Chiefs are going to go on the road. And who would have thought that, considering that here they are, what is it, six years together as coach and quarterback, the tandem that they are, that they have never played a playoff game on the road. And that's going to happen this year because even though they have tiebreakers against the Dolphins right now with the head-to-head matchup in Frankfurt, but they are currently a game and a half, or really a game technically... It'll be a game and a half if the Dolphins win tonight against Tennessee on Monday Night Football. And mind you, you have two Monday Night games. You also have Green Bay and the Giants, so you have to figure out which game you want to watch. They're both not great games, so you can have at it as to which game you're going to follow more closely. Obviously, here in New York, you're going to have the Giant fan that's going to watch, but we all know the Giants season has been out to sea. But the two themes from yesterday start off with the Chiefs. And I don't want to hear from Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes about the controversial call. And there was no controversy by any stretch where Kadarius Toney was offside. He was in the neutral zone. And even though you had that great play where Travis Kelsey lateral to Kadarius Toney as he got into the end zone, which would have been just an enormous win and pretty much a death knell for the Buffalo Bills as far as their playoff opportunity would go. But because of that offsides, the Chiefs end up losing again, back-to-back games as they're 8-5, and five. and even though they are a three seed in the AFC, but as we've seen, this is a team that is certainly a far cry from what they were a year ago, and to think, who would have thought that the likes of Juju Smith-Schuster, and even some good play by Kadarius Toney, who as we know has been inconsistent this year. They haven't had guys step up offensively, especially from the wideout position. Travis Kelsey, although still productive, but has not been as dominant where teams have been able to key on him and double team him, knowing that they don't care about the Isaiah Pacheco's or the Sky Moore's or the Rashie Rice's where they feel like, oh, well, if they're going to beat him, then fine. But as a right this second, the Chiefs look very much like a mortal team. And who knows, once you get to January, it could be a different story as they will host a home game to start, but after the wildcard round, everything else is going to be on the road for the Chiefs, which we've never seen here throughout the course of the Patrick Mahomes era. But for them to discuss in the post game how, oh, it shouldn't have come down to that. The referee usually warns us where there's a guy that's in the neutral zone. And yeah, they may warn them in the first or second quarter or maybe even early in the third. But in the fourth quarter, crunch time, you would think a player at that juncture of the game would know not to be that close to the line of scrimmage or even a toenail past the line of scrimmage where you saw Tony lined up there with the blue line and his foot was on that blue line. I'm sorry. I could see it was a thing where it was so close where he could have gotten away with it. But I don't want to hear what Mahomes or Reed has to say He was definitely in that neutral zone, deserved the flag, kind of reminded me of the AFC Championship game where Chris Jones was offsides, if you remember that, where Brady threw the interception, the game would have been over, the Chiefs would have gone on to the Super Bowl, but of course, they had their second chance after Chris Jones was lined up in the neutral zone, and then we saw what happened after that, where the Patriots went on to not only tie the game, but then of course, win in overtime. And get to a Super Bowl to win their last one. When you think about it, that was the year that they beat the Rams the second go-round. So for the Chiefs, that was a tough break, yes. But still a flag that deserved to be thrown there. And that loss, to me, put the Chiefs back to the pack. They have the three seed right now because of Jacksonville's loss yesterday. And they had beaten Jacksonville back in week two. But you can forget about them getting a one seed unless the Dolphins and even the Ravens for that matter start to fall apart here during the last four games of the season. So that is theme number one that because of that loss yesterday, you can forget about the Chiefs even thinking about home field and thank God we don't have to worry about them playing at Arrowhead. Maybe for the one game for the wild card, we understand that, but after that it is going to be on the road for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then the other theme last night is Dallas beating Philly and if you're an Eagle fan, it's weird here you are at 10 and three and I understand you lost back-to-back weeks to San Francisco and Dallas the two teams in your own conference that chances are you're gonna have to go through to get to a Super Bowl whether they're going to come to you or you have to go to them and the Eagles for all the critics yours truly even included to a certain degree but there were a lot of people out there talking about how this Eagle team wasn't as dominant as last year didn't put up the points didn't have the numbers and the offense that we saw from a year ago that they went to a Super Bowl and were that close from winning. But, I don't care. 10-3 and 3 is still 10-3. and 3. Now, we can look at these last two weeks, how San Francisco took them to the back of the woodshed. Okay, fine. That happened. We knew that the Eagles were living on the edge a little bit with those wins in Kansas City and then the Buffalo the week after at home. And then last night was another back of the woodshed type game. I talked about it on Thursday. I felt that Dallas was going to win the game. Would I have been shocked if Philly would, would win? Absolutely not. But Dallas in that building, they are just a juggernaut. They put up 30 in their sleep. Dak Prescott, he's going to be, maybe not the front runner right now because a lot of people will think Bro- Purdy, but I would think that Prescott will be in the running for an MVP this year if he continues to play this way. But Dallas, and I'm going to get to them in a second. But Philly, right now they are wounded. They have to go to Seattle, speaking of a team that's wounded, who are going to play desperate, and they play a lot better in their building than they have on the road, but the Eagles, they are looking at a season that was two weeks ago, not even. Eight days ago, looked like they had the one seed in their back pocket that all they needed to do was beat San Francisco. And here it is, eight days later, and where are the Eagles? They're currently fifth in the NFC. So the 8-day turnaround that was for the defending NFC champions from being a 1 seed just the morning of last Sunday to now 8 days later as you wake up or as you're listening to this whether you're commuting home on the treadmill, Christmas shopping, etc., they drop from number 1 all the way down to the 5 seed. And that is going to be crucial because if the Eagles for whatever the reason do not win a division and get the second seed overall in the conference, they will have to go on the road similar to what Dallas did last year as a five seed to where they'll play the NFC South winner. And right now Tampa has pole position, even with them, the Saints, and also the Falcons tied at six and seven. And then from there, they'll have to go to In all likelihood, it would be Dallas, depending on what these six and seven seeds do, because of course the lower seed will play the one seed. But, as strange as this may seem, the Eagles, it's still all right in front of them to at least win a division. Because right now, with San Francisco beating Seattle yesterday, no surprise there, at Santa Clara, the Niners currently have the one seed in the NFC. Followed by Dallas, then Detroit, and then Tampa. So, with the Eagles having to go to Seattle, it lightens up to where they play the Giants two of the final three weeks of the season, sandwiched by Arizona, to where Dallas has to go to Buffalo next week, and now Buffalo has been resuscitated, although they're still on the outside looking in as far as the playoff picture, and then they have to go to Miami the week after that, which is going to be a fascinating double duo or double dip to play the AFC East, two teams that, obviously, if they make it to the playoffs, we know the Dolphins will, but the Bills, if they get hot at the right time, they can make a run, and Miami, to me, they are the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC, teams that are good at home, but can't win a big road game, and now you have Dallas going on the road back-to-back weeks, one in a, I would think, pretty cold and hostile environment, to one that's going to be a lot warmer the week after on Christmas Eve, but still, it's going to be a game where I'm sure a lot of Cowboy fans are going to flock to South Florida. I understand it's the holidays, but I would think there's not going to be a seat to be found at Hard Rock Stadium to see how the Dolphins and Cowboys will stack up against one another in a late season tilt. So, again, although the Eagles... Right now, it's still all in front of them, knowing that their schedule is a little bit easier to win a division. I don't know. They're going to have to bank on San Francisco losing to Baltimore on Christmas night. If the Eagles were to run the table from here on out, that's the only way they'll get the one seed back. And for the NFC and AFC as of right this moment, I'll break it down this way. The top of the AFC, you have the two teams that are going to battle it out with Miami playing tonight so they could get the one seed back. If they beat Tennessee as Baltimore won their game yesterday, and I'll go through the games in a moment, but it is not as top-heavy as it is in the NFC with the three teams at 10-3. and Now, I understand Dallas and Philly, Philly with them being a 5 seed, they're going to drop down, but again, because they're tied with Dallas, and obviously a lot could change here over the course of the next few weeks, but that is going to be a race, and remember, San Francisco has the tiebreaker over Dallas and Philadelphia at this present moment. So... We would have to look and see, as I mentioned, with San Francisco having pretty much the one tough game, having Baltimore come into their building on Christmas night, that could change the complexion of the NFC. That's only if the Eagles were to run the table from here on out, and the Cowboys would have to do the same, but we understand they have some tough road games that lie ahead, so you would think that San Francisco right now is the favorite to come out of the NFC as the one seed and have the bye, where in the AFC, it's pretty much a toss-up between Miami and Baltimore at this very second and then both of the conferences there's a log jam in the middle to the bottom where think about this in the AFC alone you have six teams that are seven and six and four of them Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, and Buffalo are all on the outside looking in where Pittsburgh and Indianapolis both at seven and six and they have a monster game this Saturday 4.30, and that's going to be pretty much, whomever loses that game could be out overall because with tiebreakers this late in the year, that is a must win, and it's in essence, it's a playoff game for both these Steelers and Colts. And then even in the NFC, where you have a logjam in the NFC South, as I mentioned with Tampa, New Orleans, and Atlanta, who's going to come out of that? I couldn't even tell you. And then you have... Green Bay, who plays tonight against the Giants. We have to wait and see what's going to happen there. Minnesota, who kicked a field goal less than two minutes ago to win 3-0 in Vegas yesterday. So you can imagine what type of game that was. And then you also have a Ram team, Seattle. I guess you could throw Atlanta New Orleans, although I don't think they'll be a part of the wildcard mix. But you have a bunch of teams there that are 6-7, and seven, similar to the AFC at 7-6 and six, that are going to fight for that final playoff spot. So you have, right this very moment, 22 teams that are still alive, and yes, you could talk about some teams that are mathematically alive, whether that's the Jets, and I'm not even going to include them, or even the Bears for that matter, please. Those teams, there's no way they're going to make it to the postseason, but you still have a lot of teams alive, and that's what's going to make this final stretch very interesting, and who knows, maybe over the course of the next couple of weeks, these teams are going to fall by the wayside and separate themselves from the pack, but right now it's going to be enthralling, intriguing, etc. to see where these teams end up, and yesterday when we take a look at what went down, I know Tampa, let's start there, because Baker Mayfield, he's been inconsistent, but he's done the job, he's kept his team afloat, he's kept his team involved, and yesterday was a big win for them as they marched down the field with less than a minute to go, To get the go ahead score and win 29 25 to put themselves in first place in the NFC South. I understand it's not saying a lot, but for Atlanta, who, let's face it, if they make it to the postseason, and I would think out of the three teams in that division, that's the one team I do not want to see. The Saints. They're another team that's an eyesore, but with Derek Carr, you never know for one game and they do have some weapons offensively and a decent defense that maybe they could be at least a little bit competitive in their matchup against the five seed, which looks like at this very moment is going to be Philadelphia. And in Tampa, we've seen Philly and Tampa early on a Monday night, but again, even with guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and just a smattering of players that were from the Super Bowl team three years ago. Again, I don't see them being a big time threat in a wild card game, even if it is in their building. So the Saints is the best of the bad lot that I think that if they were to win a the division, they'll probably be the most competitive out of the three. But that's not saying a lot. And speaking of which, New Orleans, who beat Carolina, there's no surprise there. Not impressive when you look at a team that's 1-12, but the Saints keep pace with Tampa and Atlanta. And again... As we look down the stretch of the season. I believe the Saints. They're going to have to play. The Falcons. I know the last game of the season. But the Saints as we take a look at it here. They have the Giants. Then they're at the Rams. At Tampa. Which is going to be enormous. And host the Falcons to wrap up the year. And earlier this year when they played the Bucks. They lost at home. So they're going to have to win this game. In order for them to get any tiebreakers. Now Not have to break down what the division records are. And common opponents, etc. But they cannot afford to lose that game against the Buccaneers on the road. That would be on New Year's Eve. So that's one game that we'll have to keep in mind down the stretch. Tampa, their schedule down these final four games are as follows. Tampa goes to Green Bay. Followed by a home date against Jacksonville, the Saints, and then at the Panthers. These next two games, really the next three games are going to be tricky. Because Green Bay, if they win tonight, they still have a lot of gas in their tank to see if they could push to get into the postseason. Jacksonville, who has stubbed their toe here and has not been impressive over the last couple of weeks, but they're going to need the game as well. The Saints, as we all know, that could be for the division. And then at the Panthers, you would think that'd be a win. So the next three games are not going to be easy for the Buccaneers, as they play down this final stretch, and then for the Falcons, as we take a look at their schedule, the Falcons next week they go to Carolina, then have a date at home with the Colts, followed by a game in Chicago and then at New Orleans to wrap up the year. So, their schedule isn't that bad, it's actually pretty easy when you think about it. You got Panthers, Bears, although in Chicago, not going to be easy cold weather even though a running team like the Falcons but it's all right in front of them for those three teams and who's going to come out on top I couldn't even tell you at this very moment you would think the schedule favors the Falcons a little bit more than the Buccaneers and the Saints but with that division I couldn't even tell you speaking of Jacksonville they lose in Cleveland yesterday where Joe Flacco think about this this guy's been sitting on his sofa throughout the whole regular season and he gets into a game last week played pretty good against the Rams for a guy who's 38 years old and has not really been playing any type of football going back to last year and put up another good effort there yesterday I know a bunch of turnovers there by the Jaguars as they shoot themselves in the foot Jacksonville who over the last couple of weeks you would think that with the game Monday night against the Bengals which could have put them as a one seed if you believe that and now They're currently fourth in the AFC which was just a bad drop off here when you think about it because the Bengals with Jake Browning who's actually played well and you got to give it up to him but going into that game knowing that they had an opportunity to put themselves in good stead in the conference not only losing that game but then they lose in Cleveland which could happen and even though the Browns have lost their last two but Now, they're a team where they're Jekyll and Hyde, and you don't know what kind of team you're going to get from one week to the next. To me, that's Jacksonville. And Cleveland put themselves in a spot where they currently sit at five by themselves, although we know that could change at the drop of a hat. But good job by the Browns there yesterday, not only just beating Jacksonville, but getting back in the win column and have the Bears coming into their building next week. So that could be another win for them as we trudge forward onto the season. Detroit beating Chicago yesterday. No surprise there as the Lions... They're going to be a team that, unfortunately, with San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Dallas, they're going to get lost in the shuffle here, but Detroit, they will host a home game. I get it that they still have to play the Vikings twice, and that could be huge for the division, and especially with tiebreakers, but I would think as of right this second, the Lions should be fine to win a division, and even though the Lions, where are they at right now? They're two games ahead of the Vikings, 9-4 and four, to the Vikings 7-6, and six, but then beating the Bears yesterday in ho-hum fashion, 28-13, no surprise there, the Bengals did the Steelers a big favor there yesterday, as the Bengals win 34-14, Jake Browning another solid performance, 275 yards, Indianapolis went no answers there, of course no Jonathan Taylor, and for the Bengals who Think about this. What a topsy turvy year that they've had. They started off 0 and 2, 1 and 3. Then they got on a roll when they beat San Francisco. I believe at that point, what were they? Five and three. And then they went right in the tank to lose three in a row. And now they won two in a row to get themselves back over 500. Still on the outside looking in, but on the fringe of a playoff berth. So who knows? Are people thinking that maybe the Bengals could be a dark horse, considering their recent track record? Listen. You have one JB at quarterback, and it's not the JB that the Bengal fans have come to know and love. So, Jake Browning is not Joe Burrow. So, even if they do make it to the postseason, I think their shelf life will be very small. But the Bengals are fighting and scrapping hard, and based on that win yesterday, I get it that the Colts aren't world beaters, but they are in the AFC playoff mix, so that was a big win by the Bengals. What about the Texans? That was another loss there for Houston where they lose not only Nico Collins, the wide receiver, but also CJ Stroud, the quarterback, as he did not have a good game and give it up. Zach Wilson had the game of his life, almost through for 300 yards, had a couple of touchdowns as the Jets went going away, but the Jets too little too late. I don't care what people are going to say here. They have to go to Miami the week after next, or is it this week? No, it's actually this week because the game against the Cowboys is the following week. Got my weeks mixed up when it comes to the Miami Dolphin home schedule. But the Jets with a big win there, at least for them to feel a bit confident, maybe even in the quarterback, and for another rain-soaked Meadowlands day, and they've had a lot of those this year, whether it was the Giant game a few weeks back, and even a week prior with the Falcons, so... Give it up for the Jets. At least they made their fan base a little bit happy in the midst of the storm with all the comments, the leakages, Aaron Rodgers telling that the organization was Bush League and I'm paraphrasing of course about how they were handling the situation of everything of all the outside noise coming in. So that's what you have there. The Broncos beat the LA Chargers who are done. I know Justin Herbert fractured a finger. Who knows if he's going to come back at all this year. And the Broncos continue to hang in there in the AFC. Another team, that 7-6 and six record on the outside looking in. But we all know that with tiebreakers and with the way things may fall here. Remember they have a tiebreaker over Buffalo off the top of my head. So that's why Buffalo's at the bottom rung. Currently 11th in the AFC with all those other 7-6 and six teams. So that's what we have there with the Broncos beating the Chargers there yesterday. We talked about the Niners beating Seattle. No shock there. What about Baltimore? Huge win for them. Lamar Jackson, who took him down the field there late to get the go-ahead touchdown at 31-28, even with the two-point conversion. It was very impressive how Jackson led the charge after the Rams were hanging in there and hanging tough. But then they were able to get a field goal to tie. And then after two, three and outs by the Ravens at first and then the Rams, what happens? They get a punt return for a touchdown to ice the game where Baltimore 10-3, currently number one in the AFC. AFC. And I know Baltimore is going to be dangerous, but I got to see them play big time football in January because we have not seen that. And a game against Tennessee in a wild card round a couple of years ago doesn't cut it for me. We saw them as a one seed in the MVP year, Lamar Jackson, where they were 14 and two. And what did he do? He spit the bit. And Jackson, who got the big time money this offseason, and for him to take his team to bigger heights, he's going to have to play at that MVP level in January, and maybe even in February, if they get that far, to Allegiant Stadium in the Super Bowl. But that's for then. this is now, but Baltimore, who's been very impressive, and even though John Harbaugh with a Super Bowl victory under his belt, he still puzzles me with his coaching decisions, so that's another thing to keep in mind, especially as you get toward the deeper end of the pool, end of the season, and into the playoffs, but that one seed's going to be intriguing in the AFC, as I, as I mentioned, and let's see if the Dolphins can win tonight, And keep pace where if they do win one more time, they will be the one seed after tonight with a victory against Tennessee. And that was pretty much it for your schedule there yesterday. So with a lot of those lower level games, the Tampa Atlantas, the, I understand LA Baltimore, the Rams that is, because the Rams are in the thick of that bottom part of the NFC playoff picture and with the Ravens trying to keep pace, a lot of intrigue. This season has really not been filled with drama. Of course, there's always going to be interest with people with their fantasy leagues, etc. But this has not been a season to remember to date. But who knows? Maybe this could turn on a dime here with the last four weeks of this season with the aforementioned 22 teams that are still alive. To me, realistically, not the teams that are still mathematically alive. If you want to put that, you may have, what, 30 teams. Because I believe the Patriots and the... Carolina Panthers are officially eliminated. So if you want to say, well, hey, 30 teams are still alive. I mean, seriously, come on, let's not even go there. If you're Washington, if you're some of the other teams, as I mentioned, the Giants, the Jets, come on, those teams are not going to be alive or in the hunt, as you see on a lot of these pregame shows. Give me a break. But that's what you have here in an NFL season that should get higher and higher and higher as the interest will just continue to peak, 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 As we get through the holiday season, past the new year, and then the final week, 18 there, that first full weekend of the new year, and you know Jay Reels is going to be here for all of it, to break it all down, as we get past a week number 14 today, or tonight I should say, with the games in Miami and New York. To stick with the football, at least from the college version, I know Army-Navy had that goal line stand there for Army to win, and usually Navy... Wins these games. Although Army has had success over the years. But I did not watch. But I do know about the goal line stand for Army. And I'm sure that they were just ecstatic to beat the Navy there. In a rivalry that goes back forever. So kudos to Army for winning that game. And your Heisman Trophy winner. Was none other than Jaden Daniels. The LSU quarterback. Who I understand with all the yards. And all of the. Just talent that was displayed. A lot of people compared it to Lamar Jackson's win. Louisville, when he won the Heisman Trophy that year, but for Jaden Daniels, who beat out Michael Penix Jr., that if I had a vote, I would have voted for Penix, not only beating Oregon twice, not only putting up the numbers that he did, I understand it wasn't as flashy, and it wasn't off the page when it comes to what Daniels did, combining for almost 5,000 yards of offense, 3,800 passing, 1,134 rushing, 50 total touchdowns, I mean, that's just or a remarkable season, no matter how you cut it, but LSU is nowhere near a college football final four. Yeah, they'll make it to a bowl, but even with Daniels' exploits, to me, I would have given it to Penix, but Daniels is deserving, so I got to give it up. And he did win, I'm not going to say in a landslide, but certainly had a comfortable margin when he had how many first place votes? I think he had 503 first place votes, where Penix had 292 and he was second, so. Goes to show you that Daniels, with everything that he did on the field, including that big game, I believe it was against Florida, where he had over 600 total yards of offense. Just remarkable display by the young quarterback. So he is your Heisman Trophy winner here for 2023. Now let me lace up my high tops and go through the association as the focal point of this segment is going to be this NBA Cup. And as I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, more so this past week, Thank God it's over. And I understand I'm throwing cold water on this. And this was an attempt for the NBA to garner any type of attention and interest as we know. But let's face it, when we look at the Final Four, I was hoping to get an Indiana-New Orleans NBA Cup, which would have been a little bit more intriguing because you would have seen Zion there. You would have seen Tyrese Halliburton who had a hellacious last week. Although in the final, he was good, but not great. And he needed to play great in order for... Him and them to beat the Lakers in that cup final. But for the Lakers to win this thing, and congratulations to them, where LeBron James is your in season tournament MVP. And I get it. I guess he got it for the semifinal and the final because we all know that Anthony Davis had that monster final game where he put up 41 and 21. And even though LeBron put up 24 and 11, but I guess you got to couple that with the game against the Pelicans where they just annihilated. New Orleans and even Zion came out to say that it was just upsetting and maybe they, you know, they deserved. not to say they deserve better. And again, of course, I'm not quoting him, but for his disappointment and not being able to step up, hopefully that's a lesson for a young Pelican team trying to find their way in the Western Conference and throughout the league. But this in-season tournament slash semifinal slash cup It didn't do anything for me. I'm sorry. And now what's going to happen is that you saw LeBron raise the trophy over his head. And this is another thing to add to his accomplishments, to add on top of his mantle. I get it that for those who care or for those who are that involved or wrapped up in his resume and the first ever NBA cup, we could put that another feather in his cap. But does anybody really care? What are they going to do? They're going to raise a banner now to the Staples Center, Crypto.com Arena as the 2023 NBA Cup champs. When we all know with the Lakers, it's about world championships and not NBA Cup championships. This is why it's not going to work. And to me, I could see it was a thing where the people that I talked to who are big sports fans had said, hey, Jay Reels, are you into the in-season tournament? Or, hey, what did you think about the game last night? Or... Wow, what a cup final, which wasn't really a great cup final when it's 123-109, but the NBA, I'm sure they're going to go back to the well next year and it's going to be something that they're going to do for years on end, but to me it's all about the brass ring, not about the crackerjack ring, I'm sorry, it didn't do anything for me, I know that they were trying to do something along the lines of getting some early season excitement And even with the window, how it broke down, it was perfect because that was the only sport in town that night, unless you're watching the NHL, but without NFL football, college football, nothing else to really watch. That was the one thing that you could at least sink your teeth into if you're a sports fan to say, well, hey, maybe I'll watch this and see what it looks like. But with the blinding colors on the court and just the, let's face it, it's gimmicky. It doesn't do anything for yours truly. Sorry. Sorry. I've said it before, one last time I could put it to bed. That's all there is to it. And I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. Maybe the young basketball fan, and maybe even to a certain extent, the young basketball fan didn't gravitate to it. Because I get it, the young basketball fan, they're more into the players and the stars of the league than following one team and just living and dying by every basket. So for this NBA Cup, I'm sure Adam Silver and company, they're going to spin it. Oh, it was successful. Look who, who the champs are. We have LeBron there, the game's biggest star. And I understand you could want to say Jokic and Giannis and, and Bede, but LeBron, he's not at the peak of his powers as we know, but he's still putting up big time numbers as he'll turn 39 toward the end of the month. But they're going to deem it a success. But as far as just a casual or even just a good sports fan, To say that they were engrossed and riveted by what took place over the last month and especially this week overall, I bet you they would say, nah, I followed it from afar, but yes, it wasn't as if on a Saturday night, 8.30, I had to turn on ABC to see what LeBron was going to do against a young whippersnapper and Tyrese Halliburton and a Pacer team that who knows, maybe could make some hay in an Eastern Conference when it's all said and done. And now we could go back to business, we could go back to a regular season where we won't pay attention to until we get to Christmas, two weeks from today, where unfortunately the NFL will swallow it whole, and you have three bad games that day, well really two bad games, the night game is Baltimore-San Francisco, excellent game, but you have Las Vegas, Kansas City, and the Giants in Philadelphia, so tune to the NBA instead for the first part of the day, because those games are just eyesores to watch. But for the association, let's see how we temper these next couple of weeks and follow. We could go through the standings and see where these teams are, as a lot of these teams are almost definitely past the quarter pole of the season, and I know we have a player that's going to be coming back in the days to come, who's actually going to meet with Adam Silver, I would think sometime this week, and that's a one John Morant, as the Grizzlies who have been scuffling to say the least, and that's a... Just a nice way to put it, but I'm sure Morant is going to be welcome with open arms. What does that mean for the Grizzlies and even for the rest of the league upon his return? What kind of impact that the Grizzlies will have in a Western Conference? So that's something just to keep in mind as I pull up the NBA standings here. And I want to also get to Tyrese Halliburton in a second, but for the Grizz, who I believe off the top of my head, what are they? Six and 13? upon last check of the standings the grizzlies here in real time j reels they are currently 6 and 15 and morant will come back after the 25th game which is still about a week and a half away but for a team that's been floundering and needs its star and it's ironic because without him in the lineup the grizzlies have actually succeeded But of course, they have a different cast of characters here. Dylan Brooks is gone. You bring in guys who have been injured, a la Marcus Smart. Different team, different makeup now. But who knows if Morant's going to infuse any life. You would think he will. But this could be either a turnaround where Morant's going to take the season personal and make it his own vendetta among the rest of the league. Not that the league has done anything to him as far as the teams are concerned. He's either going to play that way or it's just going to be a 30-win season when it's all said and done and who knows what that means for the coach, who knows what that means for the organization as far as where they stand with their superstar player. And as far as Halliburton goes, I know in that semifinal he showed up, Damian Lillard there with the Dame Time and he's been stupendous. And that's a guy, as I said, very underrated but I'm sure he's on a lot of people's radar now after the performance against the Celtics last Monday and even during that semifinal, but had a good cup final, but certainly not a great one, which they needed, as I mentioned earlier. So Halliburton got a little bit of a comeuppance there, against LeBron, AD and company, as one more time, and it's a bit comical when you say it, the Lakers are the NBA Cup in-season tournament champions. Ugh, that just does not have a good ring. As for what's happening on the ice, as I lace up my skates, you had the LA Kings who were in town who had an NHL record 11-game winning streak to start the season. Not only do they lose out on the island against the Islanders there on Saturday, but they also lost last night to the Rangers 4-1 to in what was Jonathan Quick's first game against his former teammates, his former team who had been a part of the Kings from the beginning of time. And we all know that he's what, 37, 38 years of age? It was a special win for him to go up against his former team and for a guy like Jonathan Quick who won two cups and was a big part of what they did there in the mid 20 teens and even though it was at the Garden and not in LA, but he did get to see a lot of familiar faces and I don't know when they play LA on the schedule. I'll have to take a look at that. I'm sure it's probably going to be sometime soon when a lot of these West Coast teams play. They usually play within a month of one another as far as familiarity goes. But for the Kings, who have been very good there this year out west, stubbed their toe here on the road a little bit as they're, what, a point behind Vancouver and now seven points behind the Golden Knights, who have gotten back on the track and have played well. A little separation there out in the Pacific. But teams that have actually surprised me here, Winnipeg has done very well here as they have scored to the top of the Central 34 points tied with Colorado at the moment and a point ahead of Dallas as currently constituted. The Hurricanes have gone backwards here. Hurricanes, losers of four in a row, and a team that was amongst the top of the East, let alone the Metropolitan Division, but they've certainly fallen on hard times here recently and are near the bottom of the division. You also have the Islanders who have played well of late and have put themselves in in decent stead in the division as well amongst the top four and the aforementioned win against the Kings help and they've actually won seven of the last 10 with just one loss in between had the two overtime losses in the middle of that including that bad one against the Sharks last week which I talked about they had a 4-1 lead in the third period and they've had just struggled in third periods throughout this season but have done a pretty decent job so I got to give it up for them Rangers have been flying as we know. Flyers have actually played well on the Tortorella, so we got to keep an eye on them. But we all know the NHL season, the slog that it is, and from one week to the next, these teams could go on a five-game winning streak and the next thing you know, they'll hit an abutment and then lose four in a row and take a few steps back. So that's one we have to keep in mind. And also Edmonton, give it up for them. How could I forget the Oilers? who beat the Devils last night, and now we're at 500. Remember, this team was 2-10, and ten, I believe, at one point, And now they've come all the way back. They've won seven in a row. They have 25 points as they play 25 games. So, they've made up a lot of ground, but still a lot more ground to go as Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle and company try to get some respectability back, not only just amongst their team, but throughout the league, as one more time coming back from the dead after that dreadful start firing the coach Jay Woodcroft and now here they are at 500 trying to see if they could push that maybe not the little engine that could but the engine that is the MVP and company to see if they could get back to some respectability throughout the league. And one other note Tony Granato who is a one-time Ranger played a long time in the NHL LA Kings, etc. has been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So send a lot of well wishes out to Granado and his family as he battles that 59 years of age, way too young. And even on that note, as I pivot, Chris Everett, who has also dealt with cancer, and now the cancer has come back as she has to go through a second stage of chemotherapy and a lot of outpouring of love and support has gone on to the 18-time Grand Slam winner, Chris Everett, as we all know, going back to the 70s and 80s, her battles with Martina Navratilova who hey, have a sisterhood to say the least they were rivals back then but now just share a bond that will last them to eternity and hopefully Everett will be around a lot longer it's just a shame to see her I have to go through this again so more well wishes go out to the Everett family as she battles a second bout of cancer here and then finally I'm going to wrap up with John Rahm and just like I said earlier with Shohei Ohtani as I bookend this. Rum, who I would think as early as 9 or 10 months ago, talked about him not even thinking about going to the Live Golf Tournament, or Golf League, excuse me, where he'd rather continue his legacy on the PGA with the events, the golf courses, etc. Well, I guess the money was too good where it was dangled right in front of him. As I mentioned, three years, $300 million. One will also have the opportunity to host his own, I believe his own golf league. I got to make sure I get that correct. Or maybe his golf team, not necessarily league, but will have the chance to comprise a team under his name And Rahm, who is the third-ranked player in the world, and we understand that he is a guy that in these tournaments, you're going to see whether it's in the Masters, U.S. Open, the PGA, etc. I get it for the Dino Wool PGA fan. They're going to look at this as a blow, and then who else is going to go next? Is it going to be a thing where we see... Of course, it's not going to be Tiger or Rory. And Tiger's on the mend here, as I'm sure you've probably seen in the news over the last couple of weeks or so. But for guys who have balked at going to the Live Golf League, and when you look at the PGA, who the Scotty Schefflers, guys like that who have no interest in taking the leap over for the money, and who knows, that could change here over the course of time, as we've seen here with Rom. And we could talk about how it's going to pretty much submarine the PGA unless they finally come to this agreement which I believe is supposed to happen by December 31st so who knows how that's going to play out between now and the end of the year but how I look at it is if Rom jumps ship to take the money so be it he's going to play in meaningless tournaments I understand he's going to be a part of all the majors which goes without saying but all these other little tournaments whether it is the Valero Open or the Waste Management Open in Phoenix, which is usually the first tournament of the golf year come next year. We could talk about all these tournaments, Bay Hill, the Arnold Palmer Classic. You're not going to see these guys there, and therefore it's not going to generate any buzz, and it doesn't generate a lot of buzz with yours truly, because I'm there for the majors, and not necessarily for those tournaments, but you could pretty much say goodbye, if Rom and even some others, we know Cam Smith, and we know who the others are, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, etc. But, this is what it's going to be, people. If the money's going to be too good for them to pass, they're going to do it. If your name is not Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy. And does it hurt the PGA? 100%. Does it hurt the sport overall? If you're a guy who follows golf day in and day out, I would say yes. But if you're there for the majors and that's all you're concerned about, absolutely not. That's how I look at it. So, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to boo-hoo over another guy that's taking the money and jumping ship and, oh, look what's going to happen to the PGA. It's going to continue to go on until they hammer out this deal where the PGA and Live Golf League are going to join forces. That's all there is to it. And until then, you're just going to have to suck it up. And if it does happen here over the course of the next few weeks, then fantastic. But to me, I'm not going to lose any sleep. When all this started to Shake down, and when these players were making their exit for the money and playing in this Saudi league, I thought to myself I said, Oh wow, this is gonna be a big deal. And not to say it's any less of a big deal, but at the same time, uh uh. Unless they're not going to participate in the Masters or in the US Open, which obviously that's not gonna be the case because they're gonna be exempt to play in these tournaments. But other than that, nobody else is going to care. And the Ryder Cup just passed, so you're not going to have to worry about the Ryder Cup until 2025, so I can't even get wrapped up in, oh, what's going to happen with the Ryder Cup? At this very moment, who cares? By then, I'm sure a deal's going to be hammered out, and everything's going to be all peaches and cream at that point. But right now, it's a thing where, do I really care that Rom went ahead and took the money? Absolutely not it's not going to deter me from not watching the Masters or the four major tournaments that happen between April and July. So, all I got to say is, all right, John, it's your life, free country, do whatever you want, God bless. But, other than that, I'm sorry. I'm not going to stand on my soapbox like some of the other guys that are out there that are pro PGA and say this is a death knell for our sport oh we have to do something well the PGA has to do something and they should have done something a while ago and even though we talked about it months ago about them joining forces and having them mesh these two entities together but nothing has come about of it but I would think that if Rom and his departure and whomever the next golfer is going to be over the course of the next couple of weeks let's say it is Scotty Scheffler or Xander Shoffley or Patrick Cantlay then who knows I'm sure they're going to speed up this process to make sure that more of their players don't leave for the money and then have to scramble around and wonder what's going to happen with these smaller tournaments that when the golf season starts next month that their ratings are just going to bottom out and that's what I got people Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for carving out precious time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review, throw me a few stars, write a review. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at the following on my YouTube channel at J Reels. Definitely want to peep that, people. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast x twitter jreels1 just the number or the old-fashioned way the J Reels podcast at gmail.com whatever you want to send me hit me up please do so i'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know this is what i love to do people it's in the blood it's in the dna as we get closer to the end of december please stay tuned i got a lot cooking behind the scenes i'm not ready to reveal it just yet and in fact when i do reveal it it's going to be on my youtube channel So, you definitely want to subscribe at J Reels to get the latest and greatest of what's happening behind the scenes of the podcast. I'll relinquish more info toward the end of the month and into January. And trust me, February is going to be on and popping. I'm just going to leave it at that. So, you definitely want to stay tuned to the podcast. Stay tuned to the channel because all I'm going to do is continue to bring the fire, passion, fury, Energy from what I love to do. Sports is in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing on God's green earth, talking about what it is that I love since day one that I've arrived on this planet, and that is sports. with my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full e effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South to the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.